Good morning. All right, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops and all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Shocker. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Je um, jo Joash, the whoever he is, where his son was Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring you an offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Then the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Oprah, the Abyssalites. Thank you, D. Am I on mute? Test, test, test. There we go. No, it's all good. I got it. I got a lot of stuff to move around anyway. Uh, guys, before we get into prayer, uh, if y'all want to, y'all can go ahead and sit down, first of all. <laughs> Uh, thank you, D. And real quick, uh, if y'all can just turn around and look right over there at the sound booth. Uh, those guys don't get a lot of attention. The only time we ever really think of them is, uh, y'all can keep looking if you don't mind. Uh, the only time that we ever look at them, we ever think about them is when something goes wrong. And so right now, if, if we can just give them a round of applause by thank you. Thank you. 
because so much work goes into that you wouldn't even believe. And that is, that is probably one of the most stressful jobs here in the church. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys. Uh, moving on, uh, I see a few new faces here, so just uh, by way of introduction, my name is Parker Stringer. I am the youth director here. That is my lovely, uh, beautiful wife over there, Nikki Stringer. I love to point her out every time because everybody looks at her and then she gets red. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and so welcome and thank y'all so much uh, for coming here. Uh, that was a lot of text. Believe it or not, I had about three times as much <laughs> whenever I first started on working on this. So uh, let, let's meet the Lord in prayer for a moment and then we can get going. God, we thank you in this moment. We thank you for this time. God, we thank you for just even the ability to meet, to be able to worship you, to be able to hear your word freely without any fear of persecution, without any fear of suffering, without any fear of death. God, we know and we understand that there are literally millions of our brothers and sisters that do not get this opportunity, that long for this opportunity. So God, I just pray that you, you look over them, you cover them, you fill them and you protect them. You fill us with a spirit of thankfulness for the rest of our time here. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you meet me today, that you meet me here, that you speak to me directly at my point of need. In the name of Jesus Christ, I take every thought captive. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bind every wayward thought that you give me a spiritual focus and a spiritual attentiveness to nothing but you and your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys. So uh, today's the title of today's sermon. Uh, Nikki, I wore my wedding ring. I got to take it off. I'm sorry. It's distracting me. The title of today's sermon is Worship and Identity. And so before we really get into the primary text, I want to start off with a, a few questions, if that's okay with y'all. So uh, by way of that, have you ever had a time in your life where you were a bit of a lukewarm Christian, where you only kind of halfway sort of you know, did this whole Jesus thing, or you kind of halfway worshiped God, and so you were in, but at the same time, you were out, right? Have you ever, have you ever had a time in your life where you question how you're even supposed to worship and follow him? Because you know how your church does it, you know how other churches do it, but like, is that even biblical? Like, is it even right, or is this just tradition? Is this just the things that we do? Like, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust uh, the, how my church is interacting with the person and work of Christ. What am I even supposed to do as a believer, right? Because so many people come up here and, and, and they'll stand and they'll tell you to do all sorts of stuff. Read your Bible, pray, go and serve, tithe, do everything. Like, what am I actually supposed to do? Like, have you had that question? Any of them? Yeah, because I have in my head. And, and I'm sure many of you have struggled with that immensely. Uh, and I did as well through many of, of my years as a young believer. 
In fact, uh, just, just that prayer uh, that I was able to pray, like, it's something that I always ha- was, haven't been able to do. It's not exactly something I was exposed to. I, I remember, I think I was a freshman in high school. Uh, we went to the Lake Levon Baptist Camp. Uh, yay. Uh, <laughs> and I remember for the first time in my life that all of a sudden, this whole Jesus thing kind of clicked for me. And it, it was no longer just this is a boring thing. It's, it's no longer like, oh, okay, this is something I have to do for an hour that my parents are going to make me go to, and then I leave, and maybe youth group's fun or whatever. But for the first time, like Jesus, like, like I understood that there's just like, okay, there's a relationship that I can have with him. Like the Holy Spirit was tugging on my heart. The thing is, I didn't know how to talk to him because the primary way that I've heard people pray before then, I went to like an old people church, forgive me for saying that, right? But, but they prayed in the King James, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't read King James. Like I didn't know how to pray like that. But I didn't know if like, do I have to like change my language to do that? Like, am I supposed to hear something audible back because I don't? Like, I just, I had basic questions about prayer. And I remember going from adult to adult to adult and no one was able to answer my questions. And that led me to struggling throughout the years as, a, as an early believer. Because oftentimes I, I experience God at like a concert. I experience God, you know, maybe at a, like a big uh, event at church or at a camp. And so I thought that's where God was, right? And in the interim, in, in the between, like I, I never could experience him. And I didn't know how to worship him. I didn't know how to talk to him. And at one point, when I was on yet another high, I was 18 years old, I was praying. I'll never forget this. I was praying to read my Bible. God called me into ministry. I didn't even know it at the time. I just know that God called me to stand up and speak in front of the church. And because my faith was so up and down, I said, you know what? <laughs> like, I don't want any more part. I don't want another part of this. And I completely left the faith. This is a similar place where we find Israel today. They had worshiped God at some point, right? They they knew who he is, and they may even pay him a little lip service every now and then, but in truth, they are in full abject rebellion against him. And that's where we find him in Judges chapter 6. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 24. But before we do that, I got one verse to read. I'm... Yeah, we'll start here. So it says, uh, I'll read it from here. These people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. So this is Deuteronomy. Uh, God is speaking through Moses at this point. And he's talking about the nation of Israel. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and in that day they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because their wickedness in turning to other gods. And so Moses is speaking this. He's about to be on his deathbed. Uh, if, you, if you just, I'm sure most of us know just the general story of the Bible, but like Moses, you know, they're wandering around the, the uh, wilderness for 40 years. At the end of that, Joshua leads them into the promised land. And in the book of Judges is Joshua dying. And then now Israelite, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel fulfills this whole prophecy here. 
And that's where we find ourselves in Judges 6.1. Like God said, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. If you've been reading Judges up until this point, you could, you could put in their apostrophe uh, again. Because this is, they've done this over and over and over again. And because of that, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. That is tiny. These people will soon prostitute themselves. Nope. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So th- these Midianites, they're attacking them. They're, 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 uh, they're overpowering them. Uh, they're oppressing them to the point where like the Israelites, while the Midian people are coming on and attacking them, they can't even live in their own hometowns. Like they have to go find and flee into the wilderness, into the caves uh, that are all around them. Uh, and for whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. That's pretty much just telling you that they took over pretty much the whole nation of Israel. And they left no sustenance in Israel, no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste as the land as they came in. So two things here. Uh, one is interesting. Both are interesting, right? So it, it, it's, it talks about both they and their camels could not be counted, right? And, and so this, this, these Midianites, these Eastern people, uh, there, there's so many of them that they're coming in. They're, they're, they're like locusts, right? And they're able to do that because of this super advanced military technology right here, right? Which is the camel, right? We have to remember when we're interacting with the Word of God, right? It, it's not just speaking to us at our point of need, but it is a cross-cultural ancient experience every time you open the word of God, right? And so this right here was completely new to them, right? And so these people were breeding these camels. So, and and the, the, the big part about this is that the camel, like I'm sure most of us know this, but they're able to, uh, they're able to travel. They're, they're able to go uh, up to 100 miles without food or water right? They're able to carry heavy loads. They're able to carry people and you're able to fight on them. And so this was a big deal, right? Because it allowed the Midianites to move quickly because before this, basically, if you, if you mustered up an army, you move by foot, right? Which is slower when you're carrying pretty much everything that you got on you or you're using a different animal like a donkey or something like that. Okay, so that's a big deal. Another thing is it says they came like locusts in numbers. So we really don't uh, experience, you know, grasshoppers is, is what they are for us. We don't experience them like they do over in the Middle East. Interesting note, we used to like 100, 150 years ago, but it stopped for some reason. We don't really know why. Uh, I'd like to nerd out on that. We're going to move on. But when it talks about having, seeing the locust in number, all right, when, when you read that, you get this kind of picture here, all right? So you, it's kind of hard to see, but can you see this? It's like reddish, yellowish, pinkish right here and down here is green can we see that all right the red are locusts and so they cover the land they cover whatever they're essentially attacking to the point where you can't even see the land you can't see the tree and so the Midianites there's so many of them that the nation of Israel they come so quickly they can't do anything against it these are defeated people year after year after year and it says that and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel, once again, cried out to help to the Lord. It sounds like a good thing, right? To cry out to help for God. I wish that we could go over uh, 
at least three chapters in Judges today. We can't, <laughs> right? But there's something that they're going to lack in, in this whole story here, and that's repentance, right? They're in a bad situation, all right? And so this is seven years. They're in a bad situation. I'm sure the first year they tried to fight back and they lost. The second year, maybe they tried to fight back again and they lost. The third year, like Israel right now is in full-on rebellion. They're worshiping other gods and idols. Maybe they've, they've tried praying to them and God and it didn't work. It took them seven years to get to the point where, where okay, God, we are just going to come to you. And yet they did not repent. So there's a big difference in our lives today but between regretting your current circumstances, not liking the fact that I'm uncomfortable or, or that I'm in a bad spot, and, and, and having a heart of repentance. All right, so we're, we're going to sit on this one moment before we move on. Repenting's literal definition, uh, um, according just to the word, it means to turn around or change your mind on something on a fundamental level. Okay. And so repenting, like if we talk about maybe dieting, right, what, what repenting does not look like is recognizing, okay, I probably need to eat like an extra salad and I know that sugar is bad for me. Like have, has anybody else been there, right? And, and so I'm going to take a little bit less of it, but really all that means is like I'm probably just going to cut out a Coke every now and then, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's not repenting. Repenting is, is looking at this thing that's going to kill me. Let's just, let's just use the Coke example. And, and I know that the sugar and the preservatives and all the junk that is in this thing is eventually going to kill me. While it feels good now, it ultimately does me harm. And suddenly, this thing that still may taste good becomes disgusting and repulsive. And, and, and how we repent, how, how that looks like in our lives, can often look violent in nature. Right? When we see this, I think I included the verse, I did not. Yeah, we see this in Matthew uh, 5.30. Now, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about a repentant heart. And he says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. And that's how we're to view sin. If you struggle, I mean, the Coke is, is a silly example. But for example, if you struggle with pornography, if you struggle with masturbation, and, and your phone is, is one of the main ways that you interact with that, like you can try to get away from it. You can find accountability partner. But if it gets to the point where you, can, you cannot stop this thing, like it has got a hold on you, then what it looks like is you take a hammer to this thing and you no longer have a cell phone. Because you would rather lose this. You would, like, everybody has one of these. Like, everyone's going to ask, why don't you have a cell phone? That's weird. And you have to answer it every time. That's hard. That's fine. <laughs> but you would rather live in an uncomfortable way. You would rather be missing that hand than to continue to live in sin. So when the people of Israel, it kind of says it twice here because we're, we're moving on. And, and so what the, the, the chapter, what the verses have given us so far is kind of like this 50,000 foot view of what's happening in, in the nation of Israel. And so we were focusing in a little bit more here. And it says, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, God, we're hurting. God, we're oppressed. God, we're losing. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, thank God, God is doing something in their lives. When we cry out to God, thank God, he's going to come in, and he's going to help us. 
And he's going to get me out of this situation. And the prophet said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I'm the Lord, your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Can you imagine, <laughs> right? You're seven years, you're starving. It's this artificial famine that you're going through. You're an oppressed people. You don't know if you're going to die or not. Like, you don't know if you're going to get food. You're crying out to God for help. And this is what you get, <laughs> right? God moves into their lives and tells them, hey, here's what you're doing wrong. God sends a prophet because Israel needs more than immediate relief. They need to understand why they're in the situation that they're in. And it's real easy, by the way. This is, this is another free one, uh, if, uh, how to read the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, read it, and you're like, wow, they're really stupid, <laughs> right? Like, how could they live like that? And, and then after that, you're supposed to, like, you know, continue to think about it, right? And then maybe go and have a cup of tea. I'm quoting Tim Mackey here, if you don't know. And, and then go a couple days, and then suddenly you realize, like, wait a minute. Don't, don't I do this? Like, don't I struggle with this? Isn't it like, so isn't our first reaction to even a minor inconvenience? God, please, please get me out of this. Get rid of this. Like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm tired of feeling this, this pain, right? Am I the only one? Okay, we got one more. Okay, cool. There we go. Me and you, Gail. <laughs> so why does God allow us? Why does God allow a Christian to be uncomfortable? Why does he allow a Christian to experience pain? Why does God allow suffering? in the life of a believer. I have a, I have a non-exhaustive list, and I know I'm young, and you, you don't have to listen to me on all of it, but I have two answers for that. The first is God will allow us to experience the earthly results of our sin. He will honor our decision to live in a way apart from him. That's it. Easy example. I'll give you two. Uh, let's say that uh, I, I become a Christian, fully converted, start serving the church, reading the Bible, praying, and doing all those things. But an unrepentant part of my life is that uh, when I get upset, I, I kind of get a little bit of a mouth, right? One day my boss is, is in a bad mood. I have that mouth with him, and he fires me like that. Just because I'm a Christian and I pray to God, does that mean that I'm going to get my job back? No, right? right? And, and so we see this in other places. You know, if, if, I, if, if I have an attitude constantly with my wife and I'm great up here, like, is our marriage going to be good? No, because that's an earthly result of my sin. And it goes on and on from there. God will honor your decision to walk and live a life apart from him. That's essentially a, a main theme of the entire Bible, <laughs> yeah? And that's a theme of what we're reading today. Don't know if you realize that. Secondly, God will allow us to suffer to know him more, and to become more like Jesus. It's called, in the theological terms, the process of sanctification, right? But 
I'm going to say it again. God will allow us to suffer, to know him more, and to become more like Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. Did I include it? Yes, I did. Awesome. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Could you imagine that, being in, in that kind of spiritual mindset? That, like, when we're talking the kind of suffering that Paul went through, like, he, he's, not, he's not down about it. He's not whining. He's not anything else. He's rejoicing in his sufferings because he knows that the beatings and the persecution and all of the suffering that he, that he experiences is going to bring him closer to Christ, whether that's through killing him or getting rid of, of all the junk that he has in his life. Can you imagine living like that? I can't, I'll be honest with you. I absolutely cannot. I long for it and I pray for it. But man, like I'm telling you, I'm such a baby. Like when I start to have a little bit of bad day, one of my kids start crying, I fold like that, man. Like I do. But I'm getting better. Understanding God's way of holiness is more important than the absence of pain. We may want out of a binds, where God wants us to see our idolatry. God means to instruct us and discipline us, not to pacify us. We should not miss the kindness of God in this because it's often our only path to him. Here's a weird sentence. <laughs> now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth. That's pretty much an oak tree. Either way, it's a tree at Aphra, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So if you're an ancient reader, uh, th this is an odd sentence, right? Uh, two things, angel of the Lord, Gideon beating out wheat in a winepress. So let's just start on, on the Gideon thing, right? Um, does anybody here know how to make wine? Maybe? Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you, okay, how about this? All right. Uh, do you make wine out of wheat? No. no. Why is he in a wine press? <laughs> He's hiding, right? And, and so just real quick, I think I have a picture. Boom. Yeah, this is because of my wife, so y'all can thank her for that. So this right here is a, a threshing floor, and so it's a big open space. Sometimes they're even bigger than this, and they would have like a donkey or kids, and they, they would like run around. Uh, and basically, I'm not going to explain this whole situation, but this would be on a higher elevation. Literally kids. Like, they still do this to this day. It's pretty cool looking. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this would be a little bit higher of an elevation. That way, when you toss the weed up, the, shaft, the chaff gets swept away by the wind. If you're inside of a wine press, what is there not? <laughs> Wind, right? Because you're down low. And so not only is he having to do all this all by himself, right? Uh, and so with a picture that we're getting painted of Gideon is that this is a obviously frustrated, like uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever worked with hay before and gotten your clothes, but man, will that make you upset, right? Like it is just so uncomfortable. He's frustrated. He's defeated, actually defeated. I'll say more later. Second weird part about this, angel of the Lord, right? Uh, so what is the angel of the Lord? I'm just going to say it outright, uh, and then I will explain myself. First of all, this is not an angel. 
cool. The angel of the Lord is not an angel. Uh, an angel is uh, essentially a messenger of God that, that God sends to give a message or to perform mission for him. This angel of the Lord is not that. Uh, the uh, ancient Hebrew writers used uh, this phrase very carefully, and it follows very similar patterns. And so we're going to note a couple here. Um, I'm just going to tell you where I, I, I stand on this, and, and theologians stand on this. This is pre-incarnate Jesus. Pre-incarnate Jesus. And, and so just a couple of things that we always see in the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord always speaks as if he is God. Every biblical character that, that encounters this angel of the Lord from Hagar, Abraham, Moses, and David, and more, always ends up coming to the same conclusion that they just had an encounter, not with an angel, but with Yahweh. This angel of the Lord is a being who is distinct from Yahweh, like it always makes that decision, but uh, the God of Israel, but who at the same time talks and acts as if he is God. He will say, I am sending you, not God is sending you. He, he will, uh, the angel of the Lord says, uh, my name is essentially too, too glorious, too, too much for you to even comprehend, right? Like an angel does not say that. We, we know some of the names of the angels in the Bible. And so Jesus talks about himself in the same way as both distinct from God as the Son but also as one with the Father. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. And so this angel of the Lord was Yahweh appearing as human. Jesus of Nazareth is that uh, figure become human in the flesh. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Oh, this is great. Uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The translation that we got from D, I'm glad she used a different one, was man, a mighty warrior. Is that what it was? Yeah, so mighty warrior. So we have two words here. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor or warrior. So let's real quick just define what valor is before we can talk about this. Valor, its definition, we know what warrior is, is strength or courage, particularly in the face of great danger, especially in battle. Now, let me ask you a question, all right? Because we just met this character Gideon for the first time. Is that describing him? No, right? So this is something that we should kind of pay attention to. We, we can draw something for this. See, the thing is, is that God is speaking into Gideon's identity through and in him. I'm going to say this again because I, I hear this and I completely disagree with it. God isn't looking into Gideon and seeing this little good nugget in him and he's going to pull that good nugget out of him. That's not what's happening, right? God is speaking into Gideon uh, what God is going to make Gideon. God is going to put this valor. He's going to put this bravery. He's going to put this strength into Gideon. Later on, it says, if you translate it uh, according to the Hebrew, it says that the Holy Spirit clothed himself in Gideon. God is going to so fill him, uh, Gideon up that Gideon can do nothing else but become a man of valor, to become a mighty warrior, and God is going to be with him. The thing is, church, is what we, I, 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 what, something I don't think that we understand today is that we have the same identity. We have an identity in Christ, but I don't think many of us understand that. And when we don't understand it, in the same way that I gave my part of my testimony earlier, it leads to defeat because we don't know who we are and what the Bible says about us. And so just a couple of things. We, we've seen this from David uh, before, but I, I really wanted to bring it up again, right? And so I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. Um, and, and this goes to every single one of us. 
right? The lowest, worst Christian in here, the person that is in Christ, this is true of. And, and I hate to phrase it like that, but that's, that's, that's how we think of ourselves. Like, oh man, I'm not good enough. I'll never, like, I can't do that. I'm a bad Christian. You know what? I'm not in this. This is true of you because this is what the Bible says, and the Bible is true. And so you are a saint, a holy person. You were chosen by God and dearly loved. You are Christ's friend. You are a new person. Your past is forgiven, and everything is new. You are an enemy of the devil, and the devil is your enemy. You are a citizen of heaven, an exile, a foreigner in this land, even though we like to to get real comfortable here, don't we? (laughs) This isn't our home. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to guess while I was reading that, that a good number of you, your head went somewhere else. Or there was something inside of you that thought, you know what, no, that's not, that's not me. Like that may be somebody else. That may be, you know, David or an elder or whoever you're looking up to. It doesn't matter. That, that's somebody else. That can't be me. We heard David say last week, uh, be careful when you say I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I agree with him because that's not exactly theologically accurate. You were a sinner, then you were saved by grace, now you're a saint. You're holy. You're seen as righteous before God because Jesus paid a price for you. And so you're no longer a sinner before God. You're justified by faith in him. And so you are seen as holy. You are seen as Christ before God. You're no longer a sinner, people, right? You're a saint that occasionally struggles with sin. The thing is, is that we convince ourselves of these lies. It's not even us convincing ourselves. See, the thing is, is that Satan can do nothing about your your position in Christ. He can do nothing. Once you have faith, once you become a Christian, once you have found salvation, Satan can do nothing to pull you out of it. But what he can do is he can make you believe a lie. He can make you think that you're something other than you are. And when you don't understand that, and when you don't know who you are in Christ, you live a defeated life. And we struggle with sin, we struggle with doubt, and we struggle with defeat in our lives. And we don't have to. Look at me, church. I'm telling you, you don't have to. Whatever it is that you struggle with. And for many here, like, oh, you know what, my life's fine, whatever. Like, I don't want to struggle with a lot you do. Those little things that drive you crazy, I'm telling you, you can have freedom from them by understanding your identity in Christ. I I forgot one. Uh, You're a temple, a dwelling place for God. His spirit and his lives live in you. Just to run on the theme of the diet, right? Uh, Saying that you're a temple, like your body is a temple, is not telling you that you need to eat kale every now and then, right? Like you need to cut some Cokes. Like that is not what that verse is saying, right? When when, when we read like, oh, you're a temple, the temple, the tabernacle in the Old Testament is where God's manifest presence existed on earth. And so now you are that. So if you are in Christ Jesus today, the same power that is in the temple, the same power that was in Christ, the same power that was in Paul and anyone else is in you today. You are God's manifest presence here on earth, and you are called to exhibit and show that power. You are called to be a priest, to go show everyone else who Christ is and who his love is and what God is all about. That is your calling. It's not just the person that can come up here and yell at you for a little bit. It is every single one of our callings in our lives. 
But once again, guys, we have to realize our identity in him. And we're going to see Gideon struggling with that from here on out. And Gideon said to him, so Gideon doesn't quite recognize who he's talking to right now, right? Because he's full of doubt, he's full of fear, whatever else. He's anxious, annoyed with all the, the chaff and whatever. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where have all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did the Lord not bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. Once again, don't we struggle with this? I'll just tell you what I struggle with, right? Maybe, maybe you'll go. Uh, so we constantly read and hear about all the things that God used to do, right? I don't have a Bible on me. That's just, I'm terrible, right? But we open up the Bible and we read about Paul. We read about the heroes in the Old Testament. And we see how these people lived. And we're like, well, God used to do that. He doesn't do it now. Or we'll think about other people, right? And so God used to work into people like Charles Spurgeon or John Wesley or Billy Graham. But God's not really doing that now. And he's not really doing that in my day. And so Gideon here, he's struggling with this vast army of people, but even in our lives, right? Like, how could God possibly deal with the issues that we have in our day? That's doubt. Like, we're doubting God. And so for us, like, it may not be a vast army. It isn't, right? But it could be a broken marriage, a lost job when you weren't expecting it, a prodigal child. The list goes on and on. That's, that's, that's between you and God. But ultimately, it's us doubting God, and it's doubting his ability to work within our lives. And, and, and not just fix our situation, but change our, like, repent, turn our minds so that we no longer think of that situation in the same way. Like Paul, rejoicing in his sufferings, right? Like the Holy Spirit did a movement on that man. So where the, he, when he suffered, he rejoiced in it. And he can do the same thing in our lives. Sometimes we can't shake the feeling that God is not interested in us, that he has left us, that he has turned his back on us. And frankly, I don't know if there's a worse place for a believer to be in. Because a believer knows that their hope is supposed to be in Christ. That, that, that they know that their hope is in God and his power and his ability to move and everything else. And, and so when we lose that, when we lose our, our hope in the one thing that we're supposed to find hope in, then, then what is there? There isn't any hope. There's nothing. There's defeat. There's despair. But what I'm here to tell you today is that this point is exactly where God came to Gideon. God didn't tell Gideon, hey, fix this, grow your faith. God met Gideon where he was at, at his point of need. And just to be clear here, this isn't all in his head. Gideon is an actually defeated man, and he lives amongst a defeated people. Before God entered the picture, there's no, hey, I'm going to change my mindset, and it's going to be better. Like, it's... God did give Israel into the hands of Midian, but it was Israel who turned their backs on God. It's far easier to blame God for our problems than to face and deal with our own sins and our own responsibilities. Just like, in Israel's, um, just like Israel in Gideon's time, as long as we respond to our defeat with doubt and denial, we will remain enslaved. 
So the Lord turned to Gideon and said, you have the strength to save the people of Israel. Go and save them from the Israelites. I am the one who is sending you right? And so this goes all back into identity, right? And so God isn't saying, I see this little nugget of strength in you. He's saying, you have it. I'm giving it to you. You have the strength because I am going to put this into you. I'm speaking that truth over your life and his word becomes truth. And so God gives him a mission, go and save my people from the Midianites. I am. And Gideon said to them, please, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I helped y'all out a little bit here. I did a little bit of highlighting. I don't know if y'all noticed that, right? See, the thing is, is that this is where I struggle the most. Like, I don't always doubt God, and I don't doubt his power. I don't doubt what he can do in people's lives, because I've seen it. Not everybody gets that opportunity. I have. This is where I struggle, right? It is when uh, my gaze goes away from Jesus and into the mirror, and the only thing is I see is, is myself, right? And when I only look at myself, I see weakness. I see a, a, a pathetic man. And I think of myself, man, I'm a weak father. I could be a better fireman. I'm one of the weakest guys there. I don't know enough. Like, I'm the youngest guy that comes up and speaks in front of people at this church. Why would anybody want to listen to me? I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know how to pray as well as these other people. The list goes on and on and on. How can I do it? I'm not enough. And the, the truth is, is that I'm right. But the thing is, is that what Gideon's doing here is not only is he doubting himself, Jesus, God, just sent him on a mission. And so by doubting himself, when he's saying, I am with you, I am giving you the strength, he's doubting God again. But it's just another way that we doubt God. And then the Lord answered him, once again, I will be with you. It will seem as if you're fighting only one man. This insurmountable circumstance. These, like, remember the locusts earlier? This is the reason why I showed that. Like, there's so many of these people. And God's saying, when I am with you, when I fill you and clothe you, uh, when, I, when, I fill my, when I fill you with the Holy Spirit, I have called you. I have given you the strength. I have given you victory. It's going to seem as if you're only fighting one person. Suddenly, when God is in Gideon's life, when God is in your life, and, he's, he's and y'all are tackling the problems that he's telling you to tackle, something that seems impossible is all of a sudden doable. Real quick, I wasn't going to say this, but uh, you've seen a couple examples of the ICB here. Yeah? Um, so I've done this. I've been preaching from the ESV. This is the International Children's Bible. And guys, I love this translation. And if you're using Dwell, which you should be, because we offer that for free here at this church, uh, go to First Peter and listen to the kids' uh, narrator, and you're in for a treat because it's adorable. <laughs> but it's also really good. The translation is spot on. Um, I, I love it. It's just so easy to read. Um, so check it out. That one's for free. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the Lord answered him, I will be with you. It will seem as if you're only fighting one man. And now Gideon, he's kind of getting it a little bit, right? Like Gideon's beginning to understand, okay, I'm not just talking to a regular person. Like something's happening here. I'm being called. But he still is doubting. And so, okay, God, I get the message loud and clear. But if I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present offering in other translations and set it before you. And this right here is the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on this today. I was praying uh, to figure out what I needed to speak on because I really want to do Genesis 2 and 3 and God will not let me do it. <laughs> um, God says, I will stay here until you return. I don't know about y'all, but like if I'm telling my kids, like, hey, will you pick up your room? And, and you get this back talk, and this back talk, and this doubt, like, oh, do you really want me to pick up your room? Well, okay, well, if, if you're really telling me to pick up, like, would you not lose your mind? <laughs> right? And so at this time, you would expect God to come out in judgment, and in wrath, and in anger, and in discipline, and smack this guy down to the ground and say, go and do this already. And you expect that because you're in the Old Testament. That's, for me, that's all I ever read in the Old Testament. That's my fault. And the thing is, I thought I understood the life of Gideon prior to like, getting into this study. But man, I didn't. Because the thing is, is that I always thought Gideon was the hero or that like, he was like not the hero, but he was the focus of the story. But it's not. It's God. And ultimately, it's Christ. This isn't about Gideon. It's all about him and his long-suffering and his patience with somebody that doesn't even know how to worship him and is full of doubting and fear. I will stay until you return. So Gideon went to his house, prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. I think it's about 30 or 40 pounds is what it ended up being. By the way, I'm calling it an artificial famine. Remember, they don't have a lot of food, right? So I don't know why he prepared so much. I don't know if he's like really trying to test or whatever, but, uh, or you just realize like, hey, I'm speaking to the angel of the Lord. This is a big deal. But either way, he, he made him a lot of food. And so the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. He brought them to uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, Jesus, under the terebinth oak tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat on the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And he had wet meat and wet bread after that. Before we get into the next verse, I want to take a quick sideways glance because this is going to help us understand Gideon's response about what's about to happen, okay? So this is in the book of Isaiah. I'm just going to read two quick verses from it, right? So in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah, he, he kind of gets caught up, and he, and he sees God, right? Like, he, he sees him. And what is Isaiah's reaction? Is it just worship? Is it excitement? Is it, I'm ready to go, let me do whatever. No, it is woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The thing is, is because uh, I think it's in Deuteronomy, but earlier in the Old Testament, like these people believe, like when you see God face to face, you die right? When you go into the Holy of Holies, a rope is tied around you because when you encounter the manifest presence of God and you are unclean, you die and then they're going to pull you out. Right. 
Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hands and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So Gideon asked for a sign. He got one. Real quick here. Wasn't going to include this, but this one's for free. This is not prescriptive. Meaning, this is not something that we should follow. We're, we, we're not to ask God for a sign and doubt and question and everything else, right? This book of Judges, how it's written narratively, like it's a downward spiral of the nation of Israel as they forget and lose their ability to worship God, okay? And so these heroes that we find in the book of Judges later on will partake in child sacrifice in the name of God, literally in the name of God, where the kid is like, yes, that's a good thing, we should do it. Give me a few weeks, months right? They commit murder. They commit just evil things in the name of God. Like we're not called to follow and act like them, right? Like that's not the, that's not the point of the whole story. Yeah. Okay. And so we see that in Gideon today. So we can see parts like, okay, I, I can identify with him, but moving on. Gideon's response. Then Gideon perceived that he was, uh, that, that the angel of the Lord was the angel of the Lord. Like, this is God. And Gideon said, Alas, O God, for now I have seen the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord face to face. I'm ruined. I'm dead. Uh, and, and right now you think, like, okay, he has somewhat of a right response to God. Gideon is finally getting it. No, he's still not getting it. He's still doubting, right? Because the angel of the Lord, God just said, hey, I have a mission for you. I'm going to put my strength in you. I am with you. First of all, the angel of the Lord appeared to him first, spoke into him first. And Gideon cannot get that because he's focused on himself and his current circumstances. And he's a fearful, doubtful man. We're going to end with this. And the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. I'd like to end with a quote from a man named J. Sidlow Baxter. Uh, he was a, uh, a pastor, I think, in England, and a preacher in the early 1900s. So uh, there's vital significance about that altar. The altar is ever the place where God and man meet. It is the outward symbol of an inward transaction between the human soul and God. When Gideon built that altar to Jehovah, he turned his back on false gods and became a worshiper of the one true God. Moreover, he gave that altar a significant name, Jehovah Shalom, which means Jehovah is my peace. So eventually, I found my way back into a relationship with God. Um, Ended up dating and uh, marrying my wife. Before then, I, I, like I said before, I went in full-on rebellion against him. Uh, I struggled with, uh, for the sake, just in case there are kids in the room, inappropriate relations. Um, I, I struggled with partying, binge drinking, um, fighting, um, self-harm to the point of, of suicide. Uh, I was completely and totally in the hands of Satan. But like I said, eventually I, I was able to find my way back into a right relationship with God. I started to read the Bible with my wife. I attempted to learn how to pray for myself instead of 
depending on other people to teach me. And we eventually found our way to this church. But even then, I was still full of that fear and doubt I had as an early believer. I thought because of what I had done, I would never get to enter into a full relationship with Jesus again. I would never hear God as I did back then. I wouldn't get to experience him. I believed I was compromised, broken, and unusable. And I thought my payment would forever be like, okay, I'm going to serve the church. I'm I'm in this thing. But forever, he's going to hold himself back from me because I walked away from him. But God had a different plan. Despite zero inclination for ministry, especially for teenagers, one of the elders, Jeff, asked if I would like to occasionally help with the youth ministry. Nothing big, no big responsibilities or anything else. Just, hey, you want to come by and check it out? Because that's my personality, I said yes, and my faith grew. Despite zero inclination, zero, for leading a youth ministry, one of the elders, Jeff, asked if I would like to be our youth director. And I said yes, and my faith grew, our faith grew. I've been challenged, built up, broken down, defeated, confused, full of doubt and fear along the whole way. Like I said, I still struggle with doubt, fear, anxiety, which is a new one after I got into ministry. Never experienced that until then. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) And an overwhelming feeling that I'm not good enough. To be completely frank, up until about Wednesday or Thursday, which is when I, I did most of my work on this sermon, There wasn't a moment, a single moment of me putting the sermon together uh, that I didn't struggle with all of those things. This isn't good enough. Why would anybody want to listen to this? You don't know enough. Don't do it. You can quit. You still have enough time to quit. One of the elders can handle it. But God was with me. I know who I am in him now. I know my identity in Christ And I know clearly the calling that he has for me. The only other time that Gideon is mentioned in the Bible is Hebrews 11. Uh, And it says, and what more shall I say? I kind of cut out a little bit of the middle. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. And he talks about other um, heroes of the Bible. Whose weakness was turned to strength and who came powerful in battle and routed former foreign armies. It was God who turned that weakness into strength. It was God in my life that turned that fear and doubt into worship for him. And it's God in your, in your lives that will meet you at your point of need, wherever it is, to change your life, to, to change the worst parts about you and turn them into your strengths in the name of Christ. So who here feels weak today? Who here is full of doubt? Who here is full of fear, struggling with anxiety? The message that I want to get you, get to you today is that God isn't ashamed of you. He hasn't left you. He loves you. He has a calling for you, and he wants to pursue you. And he did in the work of Christ in the biggest of ways. And I'd like to remember this as we take the bread and the cup today. So I'm going to pray real quick, and if we can stand and get the uh, elements, and then we'll, uh, we'll walk through that. God, I, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for your word.
Thank you for the word that you've given me. I thank you for your work in my life, and I thank you for the work that you're doing and the people in this church. God, I pray that you use your word to stir up, to light a fire in our souls, to change our lives here today in whatever way it it may mean. Pray that you do your, I pray that you do what only you can do. Pray that you give us a sense of fear and honor, a sense of reverence in what we're about to partake in. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if y'all like to come and grab the elements.